Want to do better? Then it's time to change the story. Welcome to our show about new visions currently transforming the world through the confluence of art, tech, and innovation. And now your hosts, Michael Ashley and Neil Sahota. Hey, welcome to another episode of Changing the Story. Hey, I'm really excited for our guest today, Lisa Reed. She is the founder of GettingSpeakingGigsNow.com. She mentors business professionals and entrepreneurs who want to make an impact and ultimately attract their ideal clients through speaking. As a speaker herself, Lisa has successfully booked and delivered over 500 speaking engagements. In her book, Getting Speaking Gigs Now, she shares her seven-step uh, program to get to getting booked, staying booked, and attracting your ideal clients through speaking. Lisa is also a trainer and speaker for Productive Learning, a personal development company that dives into the journey of self-mastery and is available for those of us who are willing to investigate ourselves and turn up the volume on our curiosity. Well, I'm definitely curious. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you for having me, Neil and Michael. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for being here. So Lisa, as a visionary, what is the story that you would like to bring to the world? Uh, the story that I that I thought of when you asked me that question originally is uh, definitely tied to my mission and partially my core values as a human being. And I was lucky, to, lucky enough to be raised in an environment that um, my dad was a thought leader and um, I would say a visionary himself. And he always talked about consciousness. And so for me, when I think of like, why am I here on this world? It's about us all sharing one consciousness. We're not quite there yet. As human beings, we haven't quite evolved all the way through to that, to that space and how we embrace it, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And so we all have this shared consciousness. And so as me, one human being, I think, okay, what's my gift to the world that I can help elevate that consciousness for everybody. And partially that's what, one of the reasons that I, that I do what I do is I, I really feel like one of my gifts is helping other speakers get their message out there because they're going to help benefit other people. We all have our own expertise, but you know, I don't know everything, but that's my way of having that ripple effect in the world. And it's because I believe we have the shared consciousness. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's fantastic. Um, Michael, do we have a shared consciousness? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think together, like, <laughs> I think we're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely getting there. Um, but I, I totally understand what you're saying. And I feel like that I, I feel very uh, aligned with that vision, Lisa. And I'll say a few years ago, um, I, I found meditation and it very much helped open my consciousness in a lot of ways. And, and my wife too, we actually began doing transcendental meditation together around the same time. And uh, I really think when you have a consistent practice like that, that you begin to have different insights and you stop being so reactive um, is one way. And then I think through the moment that we're going through right now is people uh, are talking about waking up um, in, in all kinds of different ways. And I wonder from you, what are some of the ways uh, that you would suggest people tap into their consciousness and become more aware? Yeah, I mean, that's a huge part of what we do at Productive Learning, too. So I not only was I raised in those kind of conversations as a kid and participated in them throughout my childhood as a teen and as an adult, I now do that professionally as well. And it's all about that. And just got off the phone with a client today about that, how she's been doing work with us for about nine years. 
and which, you know, some people work with us for 20 years, not because they need so much help, but because they enjoy the journey of that awareness and the consciousness. And she was able to share so succinctly what thoughts she had that was problematic, what she was going to then do to help move it through her system. And then what could she tell herself in the moment? This is all like instant, right? This instant. What could she tell herself in the moment that was more true and from her higher conscious thinking versus that automatic, maybe lower conscious thinking. And when she shared that, I was like, wow, like what you just said is so simple, yet it shows me how much work you've done on yourself to really understand your system, understand what solutions help with your system. And that to me is like the, the big prize of this awareness. Like we can all say, oh, I'm here right now. I'm present. That's not the awareness that I'm talking about. I'm talking about how do you understand your system, your history, all the the bells and whistles that are going on in here on an unconscious level. And then in the moment, while you're in reaction, what can you then do about that in a really healthy way that works for you, that takes you towards what you really want to do? And that's all the stuff that we teach at Productive Learning. So I just like love this kind of conversation. Uh, that's uh, interesting. I love the word you use, journey, right? Because I feel like too many people think is okay. It's, uh, it's some tools, techniques I learn. I flip it on or off, right? And I think it's really a uh, ongoing, constant mindset you have to be in. Is I mean, am I on the right track or am I not yeah. enough yet? Yeah, agreed. Like we're we're constantly berated with our own thinking, that dialogue that's in our own minds, and if everything's going great and like, you know, you're, you're sailing along, uh, then you probably don't need to mess with that thinking. But when you get thrown a curveball like a pandemic or um, protests because we're, you know, having people who need to raise their consciousness about differences and diversity, um, including myself, I mean, we're no one's immune to that because our mind sees something different as a threat. Just it just does. It's part of our human makeup, but um, how do we then be aware of that and then make a different choice and make a different um, communication or uh, create a new vision? That that's that's like really powerful way of thinking. I think it's also interesting about this moment in time is uh, I don't think people were having these conversations a decade ago. I mean, I know they were, but they weren't having them in the setting that we are. I think that. For a very long time, especially in the West, we've been a very materially reductionist society where we've been all about science and it wasn't okay, especially for men, to talk about things like this. It might seem touchy-feely. And so like a a favorite uh, series that I I like to watch is Mad Men. And the idea that people would be talking about consciousness except for... um, for uh, Sterling, who actually takes LSD at one point during right, the show. Right, he does. Um, and, and even though they're going through the 1960s, uh, for the most part, these are buttoned-up men in a patriarchal society where it was not okay to be in touch with your feelings and talk about things such as consciousness. But I think that it's an outgrowth of, of course, the, uh, the counterculture of the 1960s. And then also what's really occurred in the last two decades. I feel like there's just been this huge shift. It's very much accelerated by COVID-19 and a few other things. But it, it's really interesting to me that this is becoming more pronounced and I'm seeing it even amongst business groups, um, whether it's Visage or, or something else where people are, especially men, are feeling comfortable to talk about stuff that they wouldn't a few years ago. What are your thoughts about that? Absolutely. Um, our company, Productive Learning, is founded by two men and 
they had been already in this space of personal development for 10 years. Um, our founder is a elite volleyball player. He was on the Olympic team at one, or, you know, like in the Olympic, um, something trials, whatever. I don't know. Like I, th for whatever reason, I don't think we played in the Olympics that year, but sure. anyhow, really good volleyball player. So this, you know, masculine man is, you know, strong and athletic and, and just being able to really be in touch with this, this heart part of ourselves and create safety for other men to, and women, of course, but um, to have those conversations. And he leads, um, he's a Vistage chair, speaking of Vistage. Mm -hmm. And um, he also leads something called Conscious Leadership Circle, of uh, which his son, the president, now leads a couple of groups as well, three different groups of Conscious Leadership Circle. And they're made of men and women who are there specifically to uh, grow their businesses. They have a certain set of employees, a certain set of profit and loss, but it's really about like, how do I get in here so that I can be more effective out there? So it's not just about the numbers and strategies. It's like, no, what's blocking me from being that better leader? And usually it's stuff from our childhood that hasn't been addressed or patterns that we have that haven't been shifted or, or questioned. And we need to kind of admit those parts and work on those parts of ourselves that are like kind of behind closed doors in a secret vault somewhere. So right. <laughs> it needs to be a safe place to explore that. So, so that's interesting because I think you touched upon something that I'm seeing right now where you know, I'm being asked by a lot of like C-level execs about resilience, but not just about their building their own. They're realizing that as a leader, I have to help my teams build resilience and not just for professionally. We're living in a world now where personal professionals all mesh together. Do you think this is stemming from what's what's been going on the past several years? Is, is this the ongoing yeah, trend? I think that like it, the, the trend of emotional intelligence really has helped pave the way for these kind of conversations. And when we talk about, actually, we talk about emotional resiliency because um, for a lot of years, emotions, and even now, emotions aren't really allowed, discussed, you know, questions addressed in business. Yet what drives our behavior are emotions. What drives our actions are feelings. And most people, when I say, well, how do you feel? They say good. Well, good is not a feeling. Okay. That's a habituated response. And there's nothing wrong with saying you feel good, but that's not actually getting in touch with what is emotionally going on with you. So in a typical meeting, when someone's like, oh, well, um, when are you going to get that project to me? And they're like, I'll get it to you when I get it to you. Or, you know, there's some kind of, or, or yeah, I'll do it. You know, there's this underlying something, resentment or whatever gunk. Um, but then it's ignored. It's not addressed. Is that going to help the productivity of the organization? No. <laughs> so we have to like address this kind of stuff. Right. And I think, but I, I think that also in spite of all these advancements, I think that there are still many taboos um, about expressing emotions in meetings, like sure. you're saying. Um, and, and rightly so. I'm not saying that all of us need to begin just crying through meetings. Although, uh, you know, there might, we might feel like that at some point. Right. But I think that there is because um, we've been so habituated to this idea that when you're at work, you're a professional mm -hmm. and you have a job to do. But uh, we had a, a different guest on the show that was talking about this recently, which is I think what COVID is, is allowing us is because so many people are working from home, including myself today. Mm -hmm. um, and we're seeing people's personal lives from children that are barging in and seeing your home, that people are beginning to blend that work 
and, and uh, family life balance a little bit. So it is a little bit more comfortable for us to share these other aspects of ourselves, combined with the fact that people don't work nine to five hours anymore. We're working right. on the weekends and, and personal lives and work lives seem to blend a lot. 100%. And agreed that when I say emotional resiliency or talking about emotions at work, yeah, it doesn't mean um, that you get to be reckless with your emotions, just like you wouldn't be reckless with your communication. There's a healthy way in which to express and let your emotions come up or be, you know, be shared. And then there's unhealthy ways. And that one that I was demonstrating before is actually an adult temper tantrum. Like mm. when people do, you know, passive aggressive things or have a snotty response in an email or in a communication, but it's professional, quote unquote, like you can tell, like, sure. we know, we know <laughs> when someone's upset, but they maybe said it really nice. I mean, yeah. you know, and um, so that's an adult temper tantrum. It's just disguised. It's like a two-year-old, but like in a prettier package. <laughs> so the idea is how do I, as an individual, learn how to, oh, I am feeling irritated by this. What's going on with me? Is it me? Is it the situation? Is it is this because I've had this issue with this person before and I didn't say anything because I was scared? but now I'm not worried to say, you know, like what's the conversation that's actually going on in my mind that I need to address so that we can move on in a really healthy way and say like, you know, I, I guess I'm upset because last time I asked you to do it and I don't know what was happened, but it didn't get to me in time and we missed the deadline and I'm worried. Like I want to trust you, but I'm feeling I can't. And can we talk about this? You know, and then you get that person gets a chance to change, respond, yeah, <laughs> clear I, it up, right? I, I I get what you're saying, Lisa, but I know that could be notoriously difficult for an individual to acknowledge, right? That yes, they're having a problem. I mean, I've I've had my share of passive aggressive people I've worked with, yeah, and often they don't even realize how they're behaving. I mean, yeah. it's like one of the first steps down this path is self awareness. How do people actually build that level of awareness? Yeah. Well, and this is where it depends. It, it all starts with us. Like it starts with that one person who's willing to, who's the most courageous person, the person who's the healthiest starts first. Right. So if I always say like, if we had a workshop that uh, was called, I want everyone else to change. How do I do that? We'd charge a million dollars for it and everybody would register. Right. It's, <laughs> we, right. we'd only have so much influence over other people, but we can control what we do for ourselves and with, for our company. Like we have um, at Productive Learning, we have companies where they sent every single person to our introductory workshop, every single one from the intern to the VP of regional sales and marketing. So um, it, it often comes from the top down and then they're able to have like our front desk, their front desk person is able to have those kind of communications with the VP of sales and not be, you know, intimidated, but say, Hey, I'm noticing there's this issue. I'm not sure how to deal with it. What can I, you know, what can I do? Right. Well, it sounds, I mean, if, it, if you want to go off this far, it even sounds like what you're saying is what Gandhi said, which is be the change that you want to see. Exactly. And that's, that's the kind of leadership you're talking about. Even when you think about it from, from parents, I was having a conversation recently about how parents can tell you one thing and then do the exact opposite. And what kind of message does that send? But if you're going back to C-suite leaders, if the leaders are uh, walking the talk and they're doing it and they give you an example to em emulate, 
well, then the other people feel free to do it. I think the problem we've had, going back to Mad Men for a second, is that that leadership was not behaving correctly. No. Right? For the longest time. Really great ad campaigns, though. I mean. Well, that's true. (laughs) And and great outfits, too, by the way. (laughs) Great clothes. Great clothes. Right. Um, But for the most part, they weren't exhibiting the kind of behavior that would lead to great behavior from their people. But we're starting to see that, that change a lot, which is good, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's changing. And even though I know we were talking earlier about emotions and um, I really feel for for when I look at male female dynamics and someone said this to me, or I heard it on a podcast, I can't remember, but when they said it, I was like, oh, that is true. And you guys are guys, you can weigh in on this. But um, when we talk about emotions, we talk about like four basic, well, like the, the basic families, we got mad, sad, glad and afraid or fear. And for a boy, you're not really allowed to feel any of them except for mad. Like you're kind of, you know, definitely not sad. You're not supposed to cry and feel, you're definitely not supposed to be afraid. And even happy, like if you're too joyous and happy, like skipping down the playground, like you're going to get made fun of, right? So then it really comes down to just one choice, just mad. And then we look at like some of the issues that we have in our society with domestic violence and just, you know, all, all these things. And it's like, well, geez, like half of our population hasn't even been able to express how they feel. And wow, that's got to suck, right? Like that's horrible, but it's such a systemic cultural thing. How, where do we start? We got to start. We got to start with the next person. We got to start with ourselves. We got to start mm-hmm. with like bringing into the schools, all those kind of things. Yeah. You touched upon something I think really important around the feelings and you know, the the fear thing kind of resonated with me because I, I remember reading that humans are actually only born with two natural fears, right? The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises and every other fear is actually learned, mm-hmm. right? And I think we actually all have a lot of innate fears whether we want to admit it or not. Totally. Um, and, you know, you talk about like the young boys, for example, only really being allowed to feel mad how does all this stuff actually want to factoring? I mean, from like a conscious, unconscious standpoint, how can we learn all these fears and let, let them kind of dictate what we're willing to do, not do? Well, I mean, our human mind, uh, we, we make decisions and we make up meanings and we pretty much all that's decided around seven years old. Wow. So, yeah. We learn a lot of like our kind of core belief. Oh, this is how the world works. This is how who I can trust. This is how men are. This is how women are. This is what's okay. This is not okay. We we're meaning making machines. And you, if you have kids, um, you've been around babies, you can see that they're mimicking even before language. Like they're mimicking our facial expressions. They're maybe mimicking mimicking our actions. Are as they start to get um, tactile with their fingers and they're you know start to walk. You can actually see like the one of the parents kind of like, you're like, oh gosh, they do that just like their dad. They do that just like their mom or whatever. They look, the facial expressions. Um, so we're meaning making machines because that's how we survive. So once, if it's, especially if it's like a really strong emotional thing, like as we get older, you know, five, six years old, something happens that really is upsetting, like a high emotional spike that usually then gets wired. Like, oh, I never want to have that again. So I'm just going to shut that off. Speaking of like um, being a speaker, why people have so many fears about public speaking, it's because typically something happened when we were kids, we tried to say something, we got shut down, like don't, you know, kids are supposed to be, you know, listen, you're, you're supposed to listen, not speak, you know, whatever, we're not 
uh, all kinds of, and you get made fun of at school for being in front of the class, whatever. Like there's right. so many ways that kids can get traumatized. Yeah. <laughs> and then they have a fear of public speaking and they think that that's just who they are and that's their personality. Right. Uh, there's this book called Hardwiring Happiness. And what the author is talking about is that exactly what you said there. Unfortunately, uh, our, our minds are hardwired, hardwired from an evolutionary standpoint to look for fear or look for things that encourage like, fear. Like, yeah, we're, we're supposed threats. to stay alive, right? Yeah, yeah. Threats. And then the bad stuff, because we've got, we got to constantly be monitoring our environment to find something that's bad because we don't want any threats to affect us. But then what happens, according to this author, is that then we tend to dwell on the negative. So we could have an amazing thing happened to us one day and then one little bad thing happens and it sticks in our head. And by the way, I'm guilty of this happening to me sure. as very much no as, as well. But what he was talking about in that book is, and his whole thesis behind it was, if you sit with the happy feeling, as opposed to all of us that tend to sit with a negative feeling for so long, and then it burrows deep in our consciousness and becomes part of our new reality. If you spend more time with that happy feeling, it, it almost uh, sends an abundance of that feeling to you. When you're in a, a later stage, uh, something bad happens to you. It doesn't have the same impact because you built up that happiness in your mind. Yeah, yeah we talk about uh, at Productive Learning, um, as we get to more of our advanced workshops and things, uh, is something called an, changing your emotional set point. And we have this through all these experiences and what we've just been talking about. We start to have a habituated emotional set point. And for me, like I would say mine um, comes out in terms of like anxiety or um, over like it'll, how I would describe it or how I experience is like overwhelm, anxiety, stress, busy, you know, all these kind of, it's like my little experience that I've created over and over and over again. And it's to avoid sadness and being left. And, you know, so as we get close, you know, deeper into the core of it. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh gosh, well, now that I'm aware that I have this emotional set point that I wake, you know, it's like Groundhog Day. Oh, alarm went off. Here we go. Anxiety, you know, for a thousand, Alex. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I really don't want this experience, but yet it's so hardwired in there right. for so many years. Um, even though I'm only 24, it's, you know, so um, so then I need to consciously go, okay, how do I shift that emotional set point? If I want a different experience, like gratitude or appreciation or love or joy or freedom or one of those things, then I need to do something about that. And I can, and I, and I have, but it's not like a switch, like <laughs> yeah. turn the switch at 10 steps to, you know, changing your feelings for the rest of your life. No, it, it does take work. Well, that's the whole idea behind meditation too, because it's it's a practice, and if you're vigilant and consistent with it, it's not as if it, it just suddenly fixes all your problems the next day. But if you spend time with it over a, over a concerted uh, amount of time, then it does help. It does subtly change your baseline, is what I think you're talking about. So yes. you're not so reactive anymore. Yeah, I tell people like um, try to think a year out. Like usually, people um, you know back when we were doing workshops in person. Um, which we've been doing for 28 years at Productive Learning. <laughs> um, now we're doing virtual. But um, I would say if you just did a workshop once a quarter and then we had a meeting, like let's just say we're a year from now, you would look back and you would remember this conversation and what, was, what you were worried about and complaining about and what issues you had. It would be night and day. But I need those four weekends of your life. And, you know, like, let's do this thing. But like, you got to put in some time and energy and effort to have that transformation and practice. Right. It really starts with like commitment, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, that's at least what I've learned is that we only make changes. We only, 
can sometimes accomplish these things if we're actually bought into and committed to actually making it happen. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You have to agree. It's like no one could do your pushups for you. Although they should. They, I wish I could find someone to do my push-ups. Oh my gosh, I'd pay them. Right? Know, seriously. That'd be nice. Like arms, like all my, oh yeah, it'd be great. So commitment and self-awareness are not easy things for most people. Um, not to say it's... If it was easy, everybody would do it, right? Yeah. So it, it sounds like we almost have to have a kind of a cultural mind shift mm-hmm. to get get people into it. Like if we reach a enough people or some sort of inflection point out there. So of course, maybe catharsis point out there that we can actually hit that. How can like people like myself or Michael help people get there? Right. I mean, other than, you know, you helping how you're changing the story, how can we actually help people get to that point? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, what you're doing here is engaging in conversation, sharing with the public of that there's are there are options out there. I think a lot of people wish that they didn't feel the way they do, but they don't really know what to do about it. Like they're like, well, I did a gratitude journal and I don't feel any different. Like, I mean, that's nice, but you know, so it's like, they just don't know how. And so like, you know, a, an avenue like productive learning or transcendental meditation, or, you know, everyone kind of has their own thing. Maybe they need to go to therapy to really work out some deeper personal things that happen, the traumas, um, get those healed, EMDR. And there's like so many different things that someone could do to start their healing process. And that's going to be a little bit different for everyone, depending on, depending on what they're, what, where they're at, what they've done yet, what they want to achieve. And that, and that going back to, uh, to Mad Men for the third time, this conversation, I think that we had a culture in the U S especially that was very, uh, it was very hard for people to, accepted other people would go to therapy. It was not looked yeah. upon fondly uh, by previous generations, unfortunately. It, it was a sign of, of weakness, mm-hmm. right? And so when people would do these things you're mentioning, um, that they were looked down upon and they either they wouldn't do it or they would hide the fact that they were doing it. And so a lot of people didn't feel comfortable about even bringing it up that, look, I'm in therapy or, or I'm, I'm, I'm in counseling. But let's imagine that people begin to do this. Let's imagine that more of the world begins to wake up. They're doing these practices. What would that world look like? Let's say it's 2030 now. And we began talking about consciousness shift. What if the consciousness does move more towards a unity consciousness and it's 2030? What does that world look like to you, Lisa? I think we would have uh, what we call like radical uh, honesty and compassion for ourselves and for other people. And uh, one thing my dad would uh, say to help relationships, specifically marriages, but this is really good for any relationship uh, that's important to you, is to be honest quicker. And in order to be honest quicker, you need to be honest with yourself as well. And so just kind of going that developing that practice of like, how do I feel right now? What thoughts created that feeling? What experiences can I connect to that help me think that what's happening past in the past is happening now. And I'm responding as if it, but like, wait, no, that's not happening. Okay. And this is all like microseconds, right? Right. You're having that conversation. So if we could develop that, then I think people would be like, Oh wait, I see I'm in reaction. Tell me what were you going to say again? What, let me listen. Let me just shake that out and like, listen more openly. And now I'm ready to be curious about what you have to say (laughs) instead of like, no, you're wrong. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I feel like my consciousness has been elevated. By <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I hopefully the audience feels the same way, but if they want to learn more or see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you, follow you? 
Yeah, well, you can definitely go on ProductiveLearning.com if you're interested in their, in shifting your emotional set point and really investigating how you can increase your emotional intelligence. We are a collective of people that believe in facilitated self-inquiry. So like that thing that I was saying, like, hmm, what am I thinking right now? Oh, how's that connected? to Like that's self-inquiry. But you got to learn how to ask the right questions and do the work to, to give yourself those you know, answers, the answers definitely lie within. Um, if you're out there and you're a speaker and you're like, Hey, I've got a great message. It's going to be really powerful for people. Not sure how to get started. I work with a lot of clients right now who I have been dreaming about being a speaker someday. And I would say someday is not a day on the calendar. We need to get like a day on the calendar for you to do that. Um, they can go to get speaking gigs and there's a button on there. They can set up a time to chat with me, a free consultation call. And they can also get some tips on how to get speaking gigs. So all for free. So access to that. So lots of ways. That's great. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. It's been a very illuminating, elevating conversation. Oh, thank you guys. You asked really good questions. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment. If you've been enjoying the Changing the Story podcast series, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you.